Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. The BBC has called Al Worden the loneliest man in human history. They're not exactly right because there are six others who shared what Al Worden experienced, but I understand exactly why they said it. Al Worden was one of the module commanders on one of the Apollo space mission flights. He was one of the ones who stayed with the command capsule when the lunar module broke off and descended onto the surface of the moon. As such, Al Worden was one of those men, one of those astronauts, who was left by himself in the capsule as it orbited the moon. His colleagues were down on the lunar surface. When he was in that module by himself, he was about a quarter of a million miles away from any human being on Earth. And as far as his two comrades, he was the distance of a trip from here near Los Angeles to Seattle and back again. That far away from the next nearest human being. The most isolated, the loneliest man, said the BBC, in history. So what was that experience like for Worden? I want to read you some of his words from Richard Hollingham, who interviewed Al Worden several years ago. First question I'm going to quote is one that he asked Worden about how he felt as he watched that lunar module break away from the main capsule. What was that like? He asked Worden. Here, here's what Worden said. First off, he said, you wish them look, luck. I hope you land okay. The second thought is, wow. I'm glad I'm got, they're gone because now I've got this whole place to myself. And so I had three wonderful days in that spacecraft all by myself. But then Holling impressed it further and said, but, but weren't you lonely? Here's what Worden said. There's a thing about being alone and there's a thing about being lonely. And they're two different things. I was alone, but I was not lonely. On the back side of the moon, I didn't even have to talk to Houston, the command center, and that was the best part of the flight. <laughs> he then described what it was like to be in the immensity of space. He described the grandeur, the infinite greatness of space. In fact, he said, the stars were so brilliant that I couldn't distinguish them one from the other. It was like a sheet of light. And then Hollingham asked, didn't that make you feel even smaller and more alone? And here's what Worden said. Oh, yeah. You want to feel insignificant? Go behind the moon sometime. That'll make you feel that you're really nothing. Can you imagine? On the other side of the moon. Now, Worden says he was alone, but he didn't feel lonely. 
However, all indications are that on that planet that was about a quarter of a million miles away from Worden, there are many people who feel like they're on the other side of the moon, and they do feel lonely, deeply lonely. In fact, it was Mother Teresa who captured some of that sentiment. I want to read you two quotes from Mother Teresa. Here's the first one. She says, The biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, of being deserted and alone. And then a second quote in which she was reflecting on the differences between where she lived and worked in India and the Western world. As she reflected on the differences between the two, Mother Teresa said, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people. You in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. So what about it? Was Mother Teresa right? Are we lonely? Not meaningfully connected to anyone else? Slate Online Magazine shares some thoughts and some quotes, some statistics about that. The writer Jessica Olean, writing in a piece that says, Loneliness can kill you, don't let it. Olean said this, Loneliness has doubled. 40% of adults in two recent surveys said they were lonely, up 20% from the 1980s. Increased loneliness has led to the following serious health risks. Studies of elderly people and social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die early. The increased mortality risk from loneliness is comparable to that of smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. Social isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Loneliness is not just making us sick, it is killing us. But sadly, as a culture, we rarely talk about it. John T. Casiopo, a researcher at the University of Chicago who studies the effects of loneliness, put it this way, admitting you are lonely is like putting a big L for loser on your forehead. And then in another place, that same man, John Cacioppo from the University of Chicago also says this, these are his words, when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way genes were being expressed. In other words, said Cacioppo, when you are lonely, your whole body is lonely. Now, there's a danger in looking at studies like that and statistics like that to begin to think it's just in our precious and beloved senior population. But if you think that, you would be wrong. Other statistics and research and survey projects indicate, as one writer put it on Vox.com, that the most socially isolated, the most lonely generation they studied is the millennial generation. 22% of which said, I have no friends at all, zero friends. Loneliness, being on the backside of the moon. And unlike Worden, 
not being just alone, but truly feeling lonely. It's killing our planet. It's making our discipleship journey with Jesus much more challenging. Because the truth is, the discipleship journey calls us to community, calls us to connection, calls us to be heart to heart, soul to soul. And yet if we look at the church, we will find many people who are lonely. So today, as we travel alone together, we're going to go to the Old Testament wise man, Solomon, book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. Now, don't, don't check out on me. I know, Ecclesiastes, you don't want to read it on a bad day. It'll send you right over the edge. I understand Ecclesiastes can be like a rainy Seattle afternoon where you think it's not going to be sunny today or tomorrow or next week. I understand that. But there is a passage here in Ecclesiastes that sings the praises, the blessings of community. I want to read it today. Now, you have to understand a little bit of the context because we're only reading part of that passage. Here's what happens in the passage. The wise man is writing about a man who has dedicated. In fact, he has committed, invested himself in work. Works morning, noon, and night. Works in order to earn and take home more pay. But he's alone. He has no one with whom to share it. And so he utters the word that appears over and over again in this book of Ecclesiastes. And that word is meaningless. It's all meaningless. Why am I doing all this, he says. It's meaningless. And it's right at that point that the wise man then speaks of the benefits of community. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I start reading in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If they fall down, they can help each other up. But pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So the wise man is underlining the blessings and the benefits of community. He, he has at least four of them. Community is good because the produce... The product of the work is increased. Two are better than one, he says. It's good because others can help you up. If you're alone and fall down, he says, who's going to help you up? You can negotiate failure better in community, in other words. Community is good, he says, because it provides for relational warmth. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm on a cold night. Community, he says, in fact, is good because it helps us win the battles of life. Two can do much better than one when it comes to the battles, he says in verse 12. And then he finally ends up saying, essentially, if two are better than one, then three are better than two. So he's singing the benefits, the blessings of community. It's all good, right? Except that if I'm a lonely person, Honestly, that text leaves me cold. It's 
It's kind of like the father who stands over his son. His son is writhing on the sidewalk, broken arm. He's crashed on his skateboard. He's been trying different ones of all the different leaps that are challenging on a skateboard. And finally, he has crashed and crashed so badly his arm is broken. And his dad stands over him and says, you know what? If you just ride a bicycle like I told you, like I used to do when I was your age, you wouldn't have this problem. You imagine that kid? He looks up and he says, thanks a lot, Dad. Hurts worse now. Honestly, I feel a little bit like that with this text. Because we're a lonely planet. Study and survey and statistic after another tell us that. We're lonely in church. It's a reality. And then to lonely people, we read the wise man and he says, you know what? Community would be really good. You can nurture each other. You can help each other. You can strengthen each other. You can help each other overcome failure. And we stand saying, thanks a lot, Einstein. We could have figured that out. That doesn't help. I don't feel any better now. Now, the truth is, that was probably good news, though a bit challenging, to the man who was working all the time. The wise man is trying to say, here is what you need in your life. But I'm not sure it's really helping those of us who are honestly lonely. So what do we do? There's a homiletician extraordinaire, teacher of preaching, author of preaching textbooks named Eugene Lowry. I've appreciated Lowry over the years, especially a little book he penned called The Homiletical Plot. Lowry says to preachers, but it's true for any student of Scripture, he says, when you study a text, you need to decide whether that text is itch or scratch. Is it itch? Is it the problem? Or is it scratch? Is it the solution? And then you know what you need to do from that point. If it's scratch, the solution, then you need to find out what the itch was, the problem that occasioned the text. Because if you scratch where people don't itch, that's just irritating. But if the text is itch, the problem, then you've got to figure out where in the rest of Scripture the scratch comes. So here's the question. Is this text from the ancient wise man talking about the benefits and the blessings of community? Is it itch or is it scratch? Well, the truth is it was intended to be scratch to the itch of the man who worked all the time. You're working all the time. This is what's happening to you. You have no one to share it with. Then step into community. That's the scratch. But to those of us, millennia later, who read it and who feel that dull, deep, aching loneliness, it doesn't feel like scratch. It feels like itch. It only makes the problem worse. It only magnifies it. Which means, if we're going to find the solution we need to consider the remainder of Scripture. What else does Scripture have to say that might speak to, that might address 
our loneliness. Well, there are some who say, and I, I understand why, upon reading this passage, they say the solution is marriage. In fact, this passage is often used in, quoted, and spoken on at wedding ceremonies. That's the solution. Get married. That's what some say. In fact, they will say, well, we'll just look at the first book of the Bible. Didn't God say about Adam in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So see, they say, that's what need to needs to happen. Well, I don't know about that. I am pro-marriage, love marriage. I thank God every day of my life for my partner in life and marriage, Anita. She has brought these very blessings into my life. So I strongly believe it, but I'm also keenly aware of the multiplied tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, who because of choice or circumstance aren't. And I'm also keenly aware of the fact of what some of the scholars say about this passage. I want to read you what one of them says, Edward Curtis. Listen to what Curtis says about this passage. He says, this proverb is not about marriage, though marriage may be one example of its truth. Nor is God the third strand, as is often suggested when the verse is used at weddings. Though it is true that God-centered marriages are important, Rather, and this is the key to the understanding of this text, rather, it is important to have people to help us when we encounter difficulties. In other words, this is a bigger reality than just that relationship called marriage. This is about other people, period. It's about community in our lives. For, so for those who say, if that's the itch, then the scratch is marriage. Well, can be for some. I'm thankful it is for me. But I am also keenly aware of the many couples I have counseled over the years who've taught me a lesson. They've taught me that at times... There is no gulf deeper, no wall higher, no distance greater than the one that runs down the middle of the mattress when two partners are deeply in conflict. So, the wise man's talking about community, period. So we have to look for the scratch somewhere else. Well, some have said, maybe the scratch is one of the most commonly stated ideas in all of Scripture. It's very simple, but it's very profound. It expresses God's love and, and connection to us, His people. And here's what it is. I am with you. I'm with you. It appears over and over and over again. 
It, it, it came to Joshua. Joshua, who is stepping into the role of being the successor to Moses. Can you imagine being the successor to a man who has talked with God, has seen God to a degree? A man whose name, whose shadow will loom over all of Israelite, indeed even all of human history. And now you're stepping into his sandals. Can you imagine the loneliness, the sense of overwhelm that Joshua must have felt? What did God say to him? He said, Joshua, take courage. I am with you. Or to Isaiah, whose land is devastated, whose city has been thrown down, whose temple has been razed. The people, people of the land, they've been carried off to Babylonian exile. Can you imagine the pervasive sense of loneliness, longing for the homeland, longing for those who have either been killed in battle or now are slaves in another land? What does God say to Isaiah to the people who are turning their attention toward God? God says, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. or even the disciples. The disciples who had been through what must have felt like a meat grinder that weekend that dashed and devastated every fond hope they held. Now it's true, we're a few weeks down the road now, Jesus has risen, but they are still staggering around in the joy of that, trying to figure out what that means. And then now suddenly they are faced with the fact that Jesus is leaving them. Though they have a new hope, they must still be wondering, what do we do? And Jesus answers their question. He says, go. Go all over the world and grow disciples. Okay. But, but and he says, wait, wait, wait. And as you go doing that, don't forget, remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's that line that in different ways appears over and over again all through Scripture. God's saying, I am with you. And He speaks it to the lonely, to the isolated, to the marginalized, to the brokenhearted. I am with you. And yet even that, is that the scratch to our itch of loneliness? Because I think of the little girl, you've, you've heard her story. I think of the little girl, anxious, frightened of the dark, mommy tucking her into bed, trying to get her a little more grown up, accustomed to sleeping. Mommy, stay with me. Hold, mommy, please, mommy. Mommy's saying, sweetheart, You'll be okay. And just remember, I love you. And that little girl, feeling no doubt on the backside of the moon, says, but mommy, I want love with skin on it. 
You've been there, haven't you? I've been there. I want more than just a verbal assurance that God is with me. So is there more? Well, if we keep perusing the pages of Scripture, if we come to the New Testament passages, there is something that emerges. And what emerges is something called the ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ. It is highlighted all through the New Testament witness. The New Testament witness is filled with many what I call one another passages. You've read them. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, over and be kind to one another over and over again. The one anothering, the, if I could call it that way, the togethering of the New Testament ecclesia, the New Testament church. It's a community that draws all together, married or single, young or old, different races, all draw together in this community. In fact, I don't know that I've read a better description of that community than the one penned by Eugene Peterson. Listen to what Peterson says. Love cannot exist in isolation. Away from others, love bloats into pride. Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it is perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. No gift, no virtue can develop and remain healthy apart from the community of faith. Outside the church, there's no salvation. Is not ecclesiastical arrogance, says Peterson, but spiritual common sense confirmed in everyday experience. Bottom line, we need each other. We need the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the church, to draw us together, to sand off the rough edges, to encourage the difficult moments, to give us a sense of togetherness in the lonely moments of life. That's the ecclesia, the body of Christ. That's the scratch to the wise man's itch. Community, togethering, church. It's where we connect. Now, I'll be very honest. I'll admit it right up front. That is hard to do. Even when the church is meeting together, that's risky. It's scary to open oneself up, to become vulnerable to others because it is out of intimacy and vulnerability that we create community. That's scary. It's much easier to hide behind walls, to put up a facade, to not be real before others. But then to that experience, throw in something called COVID-19 and physical distancing, and the loneliness skyrockets. I feel so alone. I'm lonely for people. I'm lonely for human connection. It's one thing to hear God through the pages of Scripture saying, I am with you. It's another thing to sit down to dinner alone to sit on the back porch alone, to wake up to a silent house alone. 
The backside of the moon then doesn't feel just alone. It feels lonely. So what's the scratch to that itch? Jesus says it's the community of the church, my body, that has every part working interdependently with every other part so that when one part hurts, all the other parts hurt with it. People who come alongside us, who, who put skin to God's love, that's church. And in a time of COVID-19, do you know what I would say to you? It could actually be that that kind of togethering becomes more possible now than it was when life was normal. Now, before you hit the off button, before you turn me off and check out completely, let me explain. When we gather together in large church worship, magnifying God in our praises, kneeling in the presence of God, feeling the robust encouragement of the community that we all long for, that is so important, it is very difficult to open up at times and truly connect. During this time, it might be more possible to connect one-to-one -one with a small group. Others feel the need, others have the drive maybe we can actually connect even more deeply now. I remember a time in my life when I was lonely, very lonely. I was thinking about it this week. It was probably about a year before I met my beloved, before I met Anita. Living alone, big city, pastoring, felt very alone. It was during that time that I heard on a cassette tape, some of you will know what I'm talking about, I heard on a cassette tape a sermon from a Presbyterian minister, Bruce Thielman. He was a prince of pulpiteers. It was a sermon that so engraved itself in my mind, so stamped itself on my heart, that I've quoted from it different parts of it many times over the years. The Comradeship Christ Commands was the name of the sermon. Here's the line I want to remind you of today. Thielman said, in the body of Christ, no one should ever have to bear anything alone. Just that line. In the body of Christ, if we're doing, if we're being what the body of Christ is to do and to be, no one should ever have to bear anything alone. Do you know that it was shortly after I heard that sermon but a good friend of mine, he and I had known each other and hung out a lot together in college, came to see me, spent the weekend with me. And we talked and we shared. And slowly but surely, the door cracked open to a deeper sharing, more soul to soul. It didn't all happen then. But over the years, we shared more honestly and more deeply to the point where I can say he's one of my nearest and dearest friends over the years. I can depend on him and turn to him to this day. It became an example, one, of that simple reality. In the body of Christ, no one should have to bear anything alone.
That's true community. That's church. And it is possible even in COVID. If you're feeling a yearning for that, a desire for that, and feeling cut off from others, go to our website. I, I, I urge you. Become connected with one of our Bible study communities, with one of our prayer communities. Reach out and one of our pastors will respond. We'll try to connect you in ways that you can deepen in community with others in the body of Christ. And if you have a desire to connect, if you have resources, emotional to share, I want to challenge you to something this week. It's something that comes from a song, sparked by a song. The artist's name is Demi Lovato. Grammys, recent Grammys, she gave her first performance in a year and a half because in July of 2018, she was treated for an apparent overdose after six years of sobriety. Well, just days before her overdose, she had penned and sung these words. I tried to talk to my piano. I tried to talk to my guitar. Talk to my imagination, confided in alcohol. I tried and tried and tried some more. Told secrets till my voice was sore. Tired of empty conversation, because no one hears me anymore. A hundred million stories and a hundred million songs. I feel stupid when I sing. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody's listening. I talk to shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray. So why am I praying anyway if nobody's listening? And then she cries into the microphone. Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is anyone there? I need someone, oh, anyone. Please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. If I've ever heard loneliness, I hear it there. You may or may not have ever sung those words with Demi Lovato. But my guess is you may have sung their essence in your hurting soul. Those words, anyone, please send me anyone, Lord. Is there anyone? So here's my challenge. I want to challenge you this week to reach out to be the answer to that plea, to that prayer. I want to challenge you to take your phone, to punch in a number for a name that you haven't thought of in a while that you know has reasons to feel lonely, to sit at your computer and send a text, to an email, send a text from your phone, reach out to someone who's praying, who's singing that prayer, my challenge to you this week because we are surrounded by people who feel that itch of loneliness and are longing for the relief of a scratch from the gospel from the community from the church so what about it 
Will you be that person? Will you take that challenge? Will you be the answer to that prayer?